hey friends, welcome to the Better Bible Reading Podcast with Kevin Morris. Glad to have you with me for today's episode. This episode is something that I've been asked to do by request. A review of the podcast that came out last year, uh, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Church. This podcast, uh, while it's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Church, is about uh, the central Christian celebrity of the beginning of the 21st century, Mark Driscoll. Mark Driscoll was the uh, founder of Mars Hill Church in Seattle, Washington, and they built really an empire of a megachurch that uh, went out to multiple states by the time they were done with it. I think they had over 10,000 members or something, just crazy numbers. Uh, really, uh, the megachurch of megachurches. But I don't, not only that, but the way that they put their uh, blog posts and sermon recordings and everything on the internet right when things were starting to get uh, a lot of traction on things like YouTube and iTunes, uh, their ministry just exploded worldwide. And he was uh, at the top of Google searches, had the most downloads of any pastor, just crazy things happening, and they grew at an exceedingly fast rate year by year. And then, as the podcast says, they kind of just imploded almost overnight. The church uh, was no more because he uh, stepped down in the middle of some internal uh, investigation of, of church discipline and allegations towards him, and all of the churches begin to fold uh, at a very fast rate. And so, uh, in the span of just a few weeks or a few months, uh, there was no Mars Hill Church anymore. Period. Uh, but Mark Driscoll now is a pastor over in Arizona. He planted another church uh, after he left Mars Hill in Seattle moved to Arizona, and now they have uh, the Trinity Church. So you can still find his uh, up-to-date resources on YouTube uh, from their channel and on all of that. So this isn't somebody that's in jail or out of ministry or deceased or anything. This is somebody that's still in the thick of it, which makes this podcast a little awkward (laughs) because it focuses so much on him. So what I wanted to do and bring all of that into context of this show and give uh, what I hope is is a fair and honest review of the podcast. Uh, I wanted to share with you three things. I wanted to share with you the good, the bad, and the ugly of this podcast, and hopefully, if you haven't listened to it, uh, give you uh, my advice on whether I think it's worth your time to listen to all the episodes. All right, so Here's what I'm going to do. Go right in order, the good, the bad, and then the ugly of this podcast. So the first thing that I like about the good of the podcast is that it focuses on sort of behind the scenes of what happens in many different megachurches. It is typical where we see a very polished way of these churches. We don't see the raw. We don't see the behind the scenes. We see the production entity, which is this church or that church. And that's true whether you go to the church or whether you're watching uh, their YouTube channel. I think about something like Elevation Church that has like 
over 2 million subscribers on YouTube now, and I remember back when that church was uh, relatively small uh, on the global stage, and now they're, you know, touring, their worship team's touring around the country, and and, and Stephen Furtick is becoming more and more of a uh, well-known name, and they're rivaling uh, something that you would see at like a Hillsong church or something like that. But it's common for us with these kind of churches and these kind of uh, quote-unquote authoritative people in the Christian sphere, it's common for us to only see uh, the final cut. We don't see the ins and outs of what happens in staff meetings, what's going on during the week, what uh, what it took in terms of volunteers, what it took in terms of sacrifice, even threats, to get the production to what it is. The amount of people uh, who have lost their jobs because they couldn't get with the program. All those kind of things that we don't see. This podcast did a good job of communicating that in uh, in the Mars Hill world. Uh, you get to hear about. You get to hear interviews with people. Um, you get to hear some good uh, quality uh, storytelling of what was happening in that church to make it what it eventually became, and how it really left a lot of people disillusioned because what it eventually became was not what they signed on for at the front end. And I'm sad to say that this is very, very, very common in megachurches. This is very common in the kind of uh, distorted view of what a church empire is supposed to be and kind of branding and tribalism and all of these things where you sell your soul to the church. Don't sell your soul to the devil. Give your soul to Jesus, but sell your soul to the church and give yourself to the building of that empire. And eventually, the uh, balance of Jesus and the church empire begins to do this, and suddenly by the end of it, the church empire is up here, and the whole notion of Jesus has fallen off the balance altogether. This happens very often. Um, At one point, I was part of at least what you would call my local context as uh, the makings of a megachurch. We weren't necessarily a megachurch at that point, but we were certainly the largest church anywhere around. And the turnover rate, the uh, threatenings, the just kind of abusive attitude and all of that was very much going on behind the scenes. But your average person that walked through the doors didn't know about that. But the higher up you got, the more privy you were. Uh, and you're kind of caught in this psychological wrestling where everybody is saying, okay, but I have a good paycheck. Or, okay, I don't like what's going on behind the scenes, but look at the results. Look at the baptisms. Look at the tithes growing year after year. Look at the amount of people that wouldn't come to church otherwise that are here, and you have to do this uh, kind of wrestling in your mind as to whether the ends justify the means or not. This podcast does a great job of posing all of those questions, posing those questions to people, hopefully, that are listening, that are in in positions of leadership in a church and really have to do a a self-assessment to decide whether they're in a good place or not. And because you have the uh, kind of exhibit A of Mars Hill to see, okay, if you decide to just stay in and just roll with the punches, it doesn't work out well for people. You have true burnout. But on the other hand, it's good for people that are sitting in the pews 
that don't think about this kind of thing at all to really take a step back and say, is my church biblically healthy from the ground up? Is Jesus truly the center of this thing, or is he just a household name or buzzword that gets thrown around, but really this is about something totally different from the God of the Bible? Those kind of questions we don't tend to ask, but this podcast did a great job of really helping us to consider those things. Uh, another thing in the uh, kind of exhibit A of, of Mark Driscoll himself, when it chronicles his life uh, from the founding of Mars Hill and kind of what his background was um, as a Christian with really uh, no kind of accountability. It was kind of one of those stories where it was uh, just me, my God, and my Bible, and uh, kind of a uh, success story that turned into a nightmare by the end of it. Now, this isn't somebody that ever had accusations of adultery or any of the kind of big. Uh, big sins, so to speak, uh, that we tend to hear about when it comes to uh, controversies with megachurch pastors. But um, you kind of see that concept of no authority figures over him, no accountability. And as the church grows and grows and grows, it begins to become more and more of a problem, and it begins to be something that he doubles down to, according to everybody that was interviewed on the podcast. Now, to be fair, Mark Driscoll was never interviewed. As the podcast says, almost every episode, they reached out to him for comment, wanted to have him on the show. He never was. So he never was really uh, given the opportunity to answer direct. uh, Well, I should say he was given the opportunity, but he never took the opportunity to answer the direct questions. But according to the people that were interviewed on the show, uh, these are people that were uh, just members to people that were all the way up alongside him serving day after day, people that knew him really well, evidently, for years, um, that he became more and more insulated. So this problem of uh, your pastor is a celebrity hero, um, but has no true friends because he's suspicious of everybody, has no accountability because he thinks that it is an unspiritual thing uh, to kind of subject himself to uh, what other people outside are saying or what advice they have, because that would um, subvert his relationship with God and the Bible and almost having a direct line of communication of what he needs to do next. So you have this kind of strange hierarchy that doesn't seem to be in the place at the beginning. Um, there was notions of other pastors and elders, but you have this authority structure change drastically by the end of it. And it's good for us to think about that, because when we think about that, we're brought back to our Bibles to ask the question, what does the Bible actually say about leadership in the church? What role, what authority should the pastor have? Should there be elders? Are they different from bishops? Does Roman Catholicism have the right authority structure? Does Anglicanism or the Episcopal Church? Do Methodists, do non-denominational church, do Baptists, do Presbyterians? All of these questions really come up in in an implicit way on the show, but if you're a deep-thinking Christian, and I really hope that you are, if you are on this podcast, if you haven't listened to the uh, Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, then 
maybe this is a good way for me to kind of situate you intellectually uh, to approach it. Because these kind of questions are implied on the show, but if you're kind of thinking in this way, then you can, you can spot them. You can, they jump out to you. And hopefully what that does is it drives you back to your Bible. If you don't have a clear answer on the questions of church government, then hopefully you will go to the Bible to find an answer. And you can hear these test cases, these scenarios from this podcast as a great way to do that. And that really brings up uh, what I think is a great way that this podcast, in my opinion, illustrates the need for Presbyterian form of government. Now, I'm part of Presbyterian Church by biblical conviction. I didn't grow up in that context, but um, I do see the concept of a Presbyterian form of government, which means a plurality of elders. There's not a true hierarchy like you would have in the Anglican Church or Episcopal or Roman Catholicism, certainly. Um, But also in non-denominational churches, such as uh, Mars Hill and countless others, most of, if not all, but most of your megachurches are non-denominational in the sense that they have no true form of structure. But if you have no true form of structure, then it always um, is brought down and rendered down to the fact that one man rules the show, the lead pastor, the true man of God that has no true authority or accountability with anybody else in the church. It is his church, and he does what he wants. He moves it in the direction he wants. If you don't like it, go find another church. If you're hurt in the church, if something unbiblical seems to happen, uh, well, sorry, but you can either look past it, you can hope for an apology, or you just leave and go to another church, hurt, and so on and so forth. That's kind of the, the drawback uh, there are many, uh, besides the fact that I think it's unbiblical, but there are drawbacks to kind of, and I, I said non-denominational, but it, but again, it's I mean that in the sense that non-denominational, that you have no uh, kind of heritage of church authority. You're just making it up as you go along. I don't necessarily mean that if you're a non-denominational church. What I mean is that non-denominational in the sense of church authority. Like, you don't have a Presbyterian system or a Baptist system. You have a, we'll figure it out, day, one day at a time. Reinventing the wheel. That's that's kind of what I'm saying. And that's certainly what you see with Mars Hill Church. In my opinion, this really shines through for a Presbyterian form of government being needed. Uh, my friend Matthew Everhard, we had him on the show, uh, interviewed about Jonathan Edwards uh, the end of last year. Uh, I always like to refer people to his YouTube channel. Uh, Many of you have found me because of him, so uh, certainly indebted to him in that sense. Uh, But he had a great video last year uh, talking about what would happen if Mark Driscoll were a Presbyterian. And he kind of goes through the different pitfalls that could have been avoided, or he at least shows that if those pitfalls occurred, a Presbyterian form of government would have at least helped uh, the church and help him uh, with a true path forward for recovery and for healing, and whereas uh, they didn't have any of that, and so none of those were true options. Uh, a Presbyterian form of government, I'm not going to get into all the ins and outs of it, but basically it means that you have uh, multiple elders in the church 
you have uh, the congregation that has a true voice. If something happens, if if there's uh, one of the elders uh, is caught in some kind of a scandal, or if they're just teaching what you believe to be false doctrine in accordance with your church's confession of faith, you have a process because uh, each of the elders are accountable to one another, and collectively they're accountable to the presbytery, which is the uh, regional representation of all the elders in that region from all the different Presbyterian churches. And then that presbytery is accountable to the General Assembly, which is the national representation of all of those presbyteries. So you have the General Assembly, which is made up of presbyteries, which is made up of the elders of those particular churches, and then you have the congregation. So it is hierarchical in one sense, but there's checks and balances where nobody can just kind of by brute force go their own way with no repercussions. And this is great because it reminds us that uh, the church doesn't live or die by the pastor. Now, a pastor can certainly do damage, but a church shouldn't be defined by a pastor. The church should be defined by the people as a whole. And the people as a whole shouldn't have to jump ship because one pastor goes rogue. There should be an opportunity. There should be something, uh, some way forward. And I think this is just one example of why a Presbyterian form of government is great and biblical for that matter. Uh, but that's another episode for another day. I just wanted to say that, that the Mars Hill Church podcast um, is a great example of how um, the need for church government is so necessary for us to wrestle through and figure out where we land biblically. We need to go to the Bible to figure out. We need to look at what the Bible has to say about how churches uh, were set up and structured and what principles we should put in place to make sure um, that nobody has a power trip or even an opportunity for it. Uh, Finally, the good is that this podcast makes Uh, such a great case that the ends do not justify the means. The question that is thrown around again and again is, is God really against us if we're seeing all of this growth? Is God really against us if we're making all of these sacrifices? Is there any way for us to say um, about our church other than God is blessing it and God is in this and God is leading all of this is there anything uh, is there anything else for us to say other than that um, when we're thinking about all of these issues that seem to be popping up the turnover rate and not only the turnover rate but the amount of people that were getting fired uh, at a moment's notice um, they're you know laboring in this department of the church uh, maybe small group maybe a teacher or elder uh maybe part of the production team and suddenly overnight they lose their job because they can't get with the program those kind of questions um is god in this because all that's happening but then surely he is in this because all of our growth and all of the external things that we have to look at record numbers of baptisms and so on and so forth that question is thrown around so often and i think the podcast did a good job of answering it in the negative, that the ends do not justify the means. And this should be something that all of us think about. Again, this is a podcast about the Bible. But you can't understand the Bible without understanding 
the church. You can't divorce the Bible as merely a personal endeavor or hobby with no relation to the church, because we as Christians, as Bible readers, belong to the body of Christ and therefore should be tied to, associated with, invested in a local church. That means that when we think about these questions, it it is a biblical issue. It's a personal issue that we have to wrestle through. It's also a collective issue that we have to think about in terms of where we belong to and who we associate with in terms of a church. And if our church is starting to throw around ideas of questionable methods of evangelism or when the church seems to be focused on growth to the detriment of those who are already there, when those who are already there are simply stage props for the visitors, and the focus is shifted on getting visitors to become members and obviously to become givers, and then you're kind of cast to the side, well, if we can't find any use in you, we got so many other people's coming through the door that you need to leave because you're now a burden, you're now uh, an obstacle to the growth of the church, and somebody else is willing to take your spot just like that. That's kind of the corporate uh, mindset of churches. Uh, it, it is very much in line with the way that multi-million-dollar corporations or even just a million or six-figure corporations operate. Is that you're a number, you're a number, and you are either a benefit or an obstacle to the company. And unfortunately, many churches operate this way. This should really make us question. Uh, Okay, great. We have uh, on the surface, on what you can see, people are getting baptized. What you can see, people are saying that they're saved. What you can see, the church auditorium needs to be renovated because more people are coming. That might sound good, and maybe it is, but just because growth is happening doesn't mean that it's good. Um, if I invite 500 atheists to my church and all 500 show up, but they are locked in as atheists for life, is that a true blessing to our church just because 500 more people are in there? Um, but they're stirring up controversy and division because they're mocking our worship practices week after week. Um, they're trying to get all of our church members who are professing Christians uh, to sin and, and fall into scandal and uh, resist the authority of the church and all that. Well, no, that's not a good thing. That's that's a detrimental thing to the health of the church. So numbers in general are not good, and that doesn't mean the smaller you are, the more faithful you are either. But it does mean that we have to start asking the question, what exactly are the ends, and what exactly are the means, and what exactly are we trying to do here? And that really helps us to understand as kind of a litmus test of our church when we hear about Marcel and others that are exemplified in the podcast. It really helps us to ask the question, what are we doing week after week? Are we actually trying to grow as believers, or is it now that we've gone through our rite of passage of membership, or we've gone through our rite of passage of baptism? Uh, that suddenly we are now an afterthought, and the focus shifts to potential or theoretical visitors week after week. That is not true church. True church is the cultivating and maturing and the growing of the body 
And that means that we don't become merely a number once we're members. We should be participating in pouring ourselves out for the body, but the pastor is indebted to our spiritual well-being as he labors to preach the whole counsel of God to us, to care for our souls. And so there's a give and take, obviously, uh, but when it just becomes uh, a building the church for the sake of building it up in numbers and finances, and then once that reaches a level, then you go to multi-campus, then you go to multi-state, then you go global, right? The, what is the purpose of that? Just growth in general. And if you're a standalone church, as soon as that pastor is caught in a scandal or dies, then the church is no more because it was built on the vision of a person. It would, there was no true heritage being passed on. There was no notion that this is the Lord's church, not the pastor's church, and the Lord will raise up new leaders. And because it's the Lord's church, our focus is primarily on the teaching of God's word, not the person doing the teaching uh, as a rule. And so this really becomes a huge issue. The podcast did a great job of illustrating that, in my opinion. All right, so that's all the good <laughs> that I really have to say about the podcast. Now I'm going to get into the bad and then the ugly. So the bad, some of this is not going to really apply anymore if you haven't heard the podcast already, because at the time of this recording in January of 2022, all the episodes are now available. So there's really no issue here. But if you were somebody that was listening um, when it was announced that this podcast was going to come out and there was kind of a little teaser segment that came out and then, you know, like how it is when new shows or new movies come out. Um, there's a certain level of hype and anticipation and, and obviously marketing and, and, and trying to promote this so that many people can listen to it. The same way with, with TV series and movies in the theater. So you, you get excited. You are anticipating the drop of, of the new episode, and then you're waiting for when the next one's going to come out. And I will just say that this podcast really failed on, on this side of things. And I was surprised because this is something that's produced by Christianity Today, uh, which is a pretty loud voice. Um, I would say that they've probably been uh, overrun by the likes of uh, other blogs and, and websites like the Gospel Coalition or even John Piper's Desiring God, and kind of more of the uh, niche of brands and, and companies that are associated with particular denominations. Uh, Christianity Today used to be a very, very uh, loud and profound voice. Uh, there was a actually a lot more uh, Presbyterian uh, involvement uh, high up. Used to be a very conservative company, um, and they also had very close ties to Billy Graham. So this is not just somebody like me trying to throw together a podcast. In other words, this is somebody that has a lot of connections, a lot of uh, money in terms of production value and what you had in this podcast was a very strange way of releasing the episodes and by that i mean that the episodes were supposed to be weekly and then one of them became late and kind of showed up randomly 
and there was a little segment at the beginning where the host said, we're really sorry for the delay, and we're going to now move to a once every two weeks thing, but then that didn't happen, and then it was, well, sorry, the uh, people we're trying to interview were having to kind of arrange the episodes uh, in a way that makes sense for their schedule, or we really wanted to make sure we didn't want to miss out on this person's story. And so you're kind of saying, okay, it, it's frustrating. It, the episode was supposed to come out today. Now it's not going to come out for another week. Now they have an extra week to get every episode out, but it's still coming out late, like days later. And you're getting frustrated as a listener because obviously you're losing interest, but then you're holding on because you're waiting for a lot of resolution to come by the end of the episodes. And you start saying, okay, well, maybe since they're trying to get all these people on here, maybe it's just going to be like something really great and I'll just, you know, I'll just hold off. And then there was some weird like rabbit trail episodes that almost like sub episodes, uh, subtopic episodes. And when those episodes would launch, they would say, okay, uh, we're working on this other episode, but in the meantime, we wanted to share this with you. It didn't make sense to put it in the middle of a real episode, so we wanted to make it its own episode. And you just kind of left scratching your head. And then by the end of it, something very weird happened, is that you have a poorer and poorer buildup of anticipation to the climax of the show. And then the last couple episodes... Typically, the episodes were about an hour, uh, kind of plus or minus. But the last two episodes were like over two hours long. And it was almost just like an information dump at the end of the podcast release. And it was very disheartening because my perspective should be quality over quantity. You're told that... All of these episodes, the big idea is quality, and that's why we're not able to get out the episodes in time. We're really trying to make sure everything is all tied together and makes sense for you as a listener, and things are edited together from conversations. And then you get to the end, and it's almost like they're saying, we're sorry for all of the hang-ups, but look, these last two episodes like are over five hours in total content. So it's just like an information dump at the very end, and then it turns into, okay, quantity over quality, because when you actually watch, or when you actually listen to uh, those final two podcast episodes, um, it doesn't bring the kind of resolution that you're hoping. Now, this is real life, so we're not guaranteed that documentaries or biographical sketches or anything like that are going to have the kind of happy endings and the kind of resolution that you can expect from somebody that's writing a script of fiction. However, what you're kind of promised at the front end of the podcast was the question, who killed Mars Hill? The podcast is presented in a way that it's about Mars Hill it's about brokenness in the church, and it's about God shining through the brokenness and bringing resolution to our own brokenness. And it's presented in a way for us to, a better, to be better churchgoers, to think about the Bible in a deeper way, to think about issues of 
abuse in church leadership and to figure all of that out. And so it's kind of shown as, okay, Mark Driscoll is going to be a topic of discussion here because this is about his church, Mars Hill Church, but it's not necessarily about Mark Driscoll from beginning to end. That's what you're shown at the very beginning of the podcast. But as it progresses, uh, the main character is always Mark Driscoll, except for in those uh, kind of uh, subcategory episodes that they came out with. And it's just the people that were impacted by him, good or bad, which is almost exclusively bad for those that talked uh, and, and interviewed on this podcast. And so it's very complicated the way, the way that that kind of works out, and it doesn't come with the kind of resolution. Mark Driscoll is never on any of the episodes, and so there's a lot of looming questions that you have to ask uh, that don't have answers. And, and there's a lot of expectation that maybe something's going to happen. Now, I don't know, again, what was in the works behind the scenes on this podcast, what they were trying to do, uh, but what it seems like happened is Maybe they were hoping to get him on and were almost counting on it, but never did, or what. But the point is, even though life happens and you're not promised a nice, clean-cut, well-packaged, groomed story here, that the way it was portrayed at the beginning was that's kind of what you thought you were getting. You thought you were going to have a clear call to action, and you really just don't. You have a lot of implied things in the final few episodes but nothing that's really concrete. And that's really unfortunate because I think um, I think it leaves a lot of people uh, disappointed in the way that the podcast goes. Almost if you're trying to listen in real time and follow the episode release dates, which <laughs> became very sporadic, um, you're really hoping that your anticipation is going to be paid off. And for me, it just really wasn't. It left me... Uh, with asking more questions than I had answers to. Sometimes that's good, but in the marketing and, and, and kind of production direction of this podcast, to me, that wasn't a good thing. It was kind of counterintuitive to what I expected on the front end. And maybe that's because the show just evolved over time. Maybe it didn't even end up being what they thought it was going to be. But again, uh, that would imply they were kind of making it up as they go along, and that's not a very good idea. All right, so that was the bad. Now we get into the ugly, and this will be maybe a little bit quicker than than the first two. Um, what I really didn't like about this podcast. Um, okay, so we start we started good. We're now going down into the danger zone here. What I didn't like is that it was guilty, in my opinion, of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. In this case, the baby is masculinity in the church. Uh, there are a lot of people online that assume that this is kind of a biased uh, direction that Christianity to today was going in for this podcast. And that's because there have been uh, kind of uh, controversial things going on with Christianity today in the mind of of. Uh, conservative Christians, not politically speaking, theologically conservative Christians, uh, who see the trend of Christianity today being more and more broad, that it has gotten away from kind of what the uh, 
kind of doctrinal foundations were early on in Christianity today. That that was uh, conservative theology and what's called biblical complementarianism. Now that's just a big word to say um, the notion that leadership in the church is meant to be reserved for males. It is men who are to be pastors, elders, deacons. It is men who are to be in those um, office holder positions of the church. And that has been something without controversy uh, for the vast majority of church history. It is only recent where more of a, an egalitarian approach has been trying to uh, assert itself. And you can really see the, the parallels between um, government in the world, uh, leadership positions in the world, um, the kind of cultural uh, shifting that has been taking place. You can see a parallel in the church. You can see a parallel in denominations as well. Uh, first, it was with the gender issues of whether a male or a female uh, can be in this leadership position, and now it's issues of of sexuality as well. Um, but I will say there is strong uh, concern by many people that Christianity today has bought all in on egalitarianism, which means that the notion that, that women can be pastors and uh, office holders in the church, and the the kind of thesis is um, Christianity today is using this podcast as a way to demonize male masculinity and complementarianism altogether. Um, in other words, um, the bad egg, Mark Driscoll, who is kind of a distortion of male masculinity um, in the ways that they portray him, and a distortion of what happens when you have male leadership only in the home, in the church. This is what happens, and therefore, here is what we need to avoid. Now, I will say that it's not overt in the podcast, but if you have that kind of Christianity Today controversy, um, if you already know it on the front end, or if you're made aware of it, then you can actually see how it's kind of put into the podcast. It's not overt, but it is there, in my opinion. I think you can see that, because even towards the final episodes, uh, the true victims, uh, the, the victims that seem to be hurt the most uh, by the uh, failed leadership of Martin Driscoll at Mars Hill Church, um, for whatever reason, the podcast uh, goes to the trouble of explaining uh, that this family or this family is now part of a egalitarian church. There's a woman pastor there. Or they're now part of a church that has more uh, liberal tendencies. So the way that Mark Driscoll is kind of portrayed is that he is kind of uh, locked in on this idea of uh, God is the Father, and because God is our loving Father, then we therefore. Um, are able to overcome our own, let's say, daddy issues or parent issues, and that's a huge issue in the home and abroad. And so, therefore, I'm now a father figure, Mark Driscoll, to this church, and I'm going to do whatever I can 
to lead these people, but I'm a position I'm in position of great authority. I'm in position of the final authority at this church because I have a direct line to God. And it kind of paints this picture of masculinity in that way um, that I think is is unbiblical and it is not representative of true complementarianism in the Bible. Now I think that they did a good job of at least trying to get uh, people that weren't of the extreme of Mark Driscoll to maybe represent the complementarian view. But the problem is uh, they reached out to other people that actually knew Mark Driscoll and were close to him, like at least the two that I know they mentioned were John Piper and, and Matt Chandler. And both of these men believe in complementarianism, but their churches have not been plagued with the kind of issues that Mars Hill was. And Mark Driscoll also uh, had, by the end of it, a fractured relationship with them. So the podcast said that these men uh, were reached out to to be on the show, but they declined or didn't respond. And there's a whole host of other people that could have been on there in the same way. So they ended up settling with uh, Sam Storms. Now, Sam Storms, I haven't followed him in quite a while, but he is uh, almost a mirrored image theologically of John Piper. So he's a Baptist, he's a Calvinist, he is a charismatic, uh, he is uh, in the kind of realm of the complementarian view. So he is a representative of that. And the problem, even when they interviewed him, uh, to kind of talk about these issues a little bit, is that he seemed to go to great lengths to define what complementarianism is not and apologize for um, theoretical times that women are uh, kind of mentally abused in the church or men go into like a power trip uh, between uh, the pastor and absolute authority as the male figure and then he uh, guilt trips all of the men in their own homes to be uh, the absolute authority, kind of uh, lord over the home, lord over the church type thing. And uh, you're kind of left thinking, okay, Sam Storms, at least what I have uh, read of him and seen of him years past, I haven't had any huge issues besides uh, just theological differences. Um but it seems like he goes to greater trouble to make apology uh, for the kind of stereotypes of complementarianism. He doesn't actually go uh, on a full defense of what it is and talk about why uh, Mars Hill represented a distortion of it, not the real thing. I think that would have been a much better take on it, and it would have actually um, been a better way to present the story. But instead, what you have is of kind of the implied complementarianism is wrong. Mark Driscoll proves that. Mars Hill hurt a lot of women, and therefore egalitarianism is the answer. And to me, even though it doesn't say that, that's kind of the trajectory of the storyline. And the place that people in these kind of victim positions find true healing are in these egalitarian and liberal contexts. And to me, that is just so overly simplistic. And it's an unfortunate way that the podcast, in my opinion, just kind of makes a crash landing. So I don't appreciate the way that it portrays that. I think it's unhelpful and I think it's inaccurate uh, to kind of tell the story in that way. Maybe the uh, creators of the podcast would say, 
that I'm implying false motive to them. I'm certainly not trying to. I'm just saying uh, the way that it comes across to a listener. And then when you're made known of the kind of leadership in the church controversy and the position that Christianity today has made more and more clear over the last few years, you kind of are faced with an issue that says, uh, this is a biased interview. This is biased journalism. Maybe not Mike Cospers, the guy who is the host, but at least at the production level, Christianity Today has skin in the game. So uh, the final thing that I want to talk about is that at the beginning of the podcast, from these reasons, at the beginning of the podcast, you're presented with these issues in a way that you assume um, that listeners are going to be compelled to go to their Bibles. Um, there's a biblical issue here. Is Mark Driscoll biblically qualified to be in leadership? Should we overlook instances where it seems that he has biblically disqualified himself because of all the success that Mars Hill Church is having? Those are the looming questions at the beginning of the podcast. So you expect that the way the story is going to go, you're going to be presented with many opportunities to kind of have a biblical evaluation. But what happens is the podcast begins that way, and it becomes less and less and less about that. Why are there not questions asked at the end of the podcast that says, if male masculinity is wrong because of the results? That's one thing, but is male masculinity wrong in the biblical sense? What does the Bible say about male masculinity? What does the Bible say about complementarianism in church government? What does the Bible say about whether um, Mark Driscoll's form of it was right or wrong? Those questions aren't asked. It's just Mark Driscoll should not be off the hook for what happened at Mars Hill because the ends do not justify the means. We overlooked way too many character issues about him, and we can't just ignore them because of supposed results. So that's interesting, that the appeal is to the Bible at the beginning, because here's all the external things, and we can't use these external things to justify him because of what the Bible says. Then you get to the end of it, and it's, Here's all these people that are hurt. Here's all the external things. Here's all the people that are de-churched because of what happened at Mars Hill. They don't even step foot in a church anymore. External things. But the guilty verdict is presented to Mars Hill and to Mark Driscoll because of the external things, not because of what the Bible says. Now, that's very interesting because it's a, it's a switcheroo by the end of the podcast. It's a switcheroo because of the fact that they demonize the kind of church, maybe demonize is too strong of a word, but they at least call into suspicion the concept of church authority at Mars Hill. And they use that uh, to show we know that it's wrong because of all these people who are hurt. We know that it's wrong because of all these people that aren't in church anymore. We know that it's wrong because of all these people that um, have not had the kind of resolution that they hope to have uh, with Mark Driscoll, who was very close to them at one time. So you look at the 
effects as a way to call him guilty. But then at the beginning of the book, or at the beginning of the podcast, you basically say, we can't use the effects to say that he's innocent. We can't use the effects to justify him. We have to look at the Bible. But then you get to the end, and it's not look at the Bible to have a nuanced uh, kind of conclusion, but it's look at all these people that got hurt, therefore he's in the wrong. Now, I am not defending many of the things that you hear in the podcast that are simply without justification of what Mark did and what Mark said and the the true extremes of male leadership in the home and in the church. I think those things are unjustifiable. I think they're unjustifiable because of what the Bible says, though. I don't think that because of his extreme version of it, we have to throw it all out and say everything is equal opportunity. That's not true. That's not biblical. But unfortunately, the way that the podcast goes is it uses the Bible to disqualify him and says you can't justify him by all the success. And then it gets to the end and says, well, we're not really going to talk about uh, whether his structure of church government was biblical or not. We're just going to talk about all the people that got hurt. And then we're going to talk to them and see that the way that they found healing was by going to a totally different kind of church, liberal, egalitarian, so on and so forth. So you're kind of given this implicit life lesson, avoid male masculinity at all costs because it's toxic. Now, again, the podcast doesn't say this, but that is the implication. And to me, that's why the podcast really makes a troubled crash landing by the end of it. I could have probably named this episode The Rise and Fall of the Rise and Fall of the Mars Hill Church podcast because I do think that the podcast itself rose and then fell by the end of it. I think that it is unfortunate because I had uh, higher hopes for it than what ultimately uh, came by the end of it. Now, here's the million-dollar question. Should you spend the time to even listen to it? Should you spend the time from beginning to end, all the episodes, to listen? And my answer is, yes, you really should. Now, I'm being critical of the podcast. However, I don't want to use this critique to overstep uh, the good things. And I didn't even mention all of the good things. I just mentioned some of the good things that I uh, took away from the podcast. It's been said to chew the meat and spit out the bones, sift through things, and I think that is really the case with this podcast. I think there's enough good in it that it's worth your time, because I think if we approach it from the kind of mindset that I am uh, being a proponent for here on this episode, uh, then you can approach it in a way that is helpful personally causes you to ask very important questions about your own church context, your own church involvement, what you think the, the goal and the mission of the church even is, uh, what kind of qualifications you think your pastor should have, should there be other men alongside him, should he be a man, right? Those, those kind of questions. Um, and finally, that all of that would drive you back to the Bible. That's what I hope happens for you in this podcast. And if that's how you use the podcast as a tool for asking important questions and going to the Bible for answers, 
and being better to being able to be better informed of your own context to come away with a higher view of the importance of the church to come away with a higher view of uh, a balance of church authority uh, then please by all means check out the podcast the production value itself on the episodes is very good and I do think that there is a lot of good in the podcast. I just think that it starts stronger than it finishes. I think it goes off track by the end of it. I think there's many questions that should have been asked that weren't. I think there's many qualifications that should have been given, but they become more and more simplified by the end of it. So it's open to interpretation. Uh, if you go on YouTube beyond this episode, there are different takes. Uh, some people say avoid it altogether uh, because it's unhelpful. Some people say it demonizes Mark Driscoll. Some people say it's not strong enough. It doesn't go far enough in the critique against him. So you can find somebody to agree or disagree with you. And so I'm sure there'll be people who agree and disagree with me, but this is my honest review of the episode. And taking all of what I've said into account, I do think that you should still listen to it because um, it brings up enough things that really need to be considered by all of us who call ourselves Christians and Bible readers. All right, so thank you so much for this watching this episode, listening to it. Again, uh, this is something I don't do all the time. I'm not following the trend of things all the time and trying to give my uh, my own opinion about it all the time, but I thought that this was something worthy uh, to speak about, and again, I've had people ask me to do this, so I wanted to make sure that I did that as well. And so please uh, become a involved uh, listener or watcher of Better Bible Reading. There's a few ways to do that. The first way is to subscribe on the YouTube channel or on iTunes. Uh, in general, that would just help you know when new episodes have been coming out, but I want to invite you to go and check out my free course on how to read the Bible. You can find it in the description of this page, or you can just type in betterbiblereading.com forward slash free class. You'll be able to get started on being a better Bible reader. We'll go over so many different concepts of what it means to read the Bible, what you should avoid, what you should do, walk you through that in a step-by-step -step process. It's my gift to you. Again, it's absolutely free, but I want to help you out, especially as we're still in the beginning of 2022. But you can work through this at your own pace. So regardless of when you find this episode and when you click on that course, you'll be able to jump in and work through it uh, from day one, whatever day that is. All right. So please do that. Please take advantage of it. But thank you so much for being here, and thank you for watching the Better Bible Reading Podcast. Take care, and I'll see you soon.